how about I pray for us uh, that God will help us to hear his word today. Father God, as we hear you speak to us today, please give us ears to hear and eyes to, um, eyes to see, and please turn our hearts towards your son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, earlier this year, uh, Anita and I, we bought one of those, those navigation computers for our car. I'm sure you know the ones, the ones that you stick on your windscreen and you type in where you're going and, and, and you go, you go driving and it says turn left in 20 metres, turn left in 5 metres, turn left, oh, stuff at you stupid human. Okay, we'll just go around the block. You know the ones? You've got one of them in your car as well? One of the things that's really interesting about that machine is the way that Anita and I relate to the machine. I put all my confidence in it. I reckon if we've paid good money for this machine, if, if it's got in its brain every street in every town in Australia, if it um, is looking up to the sky and listening to a network of 30 multi-billion dollar satellites to know exactly where on the globe we are, I'm going to trust it, I'm going to put my confidence in it, and I'm gonna, if it says turn left, I'm going to turn left. Uh, but Anita is a little bit different. Um, if it says turn left, but she thinks, oh, actually there's a better way that we can get there, she'll, she'll ignore the pleading little voice that it's got and just go whichever way she thinks uh, is best. And, and all credit to her, generally we get where we're going and generally we get there uh, faster than if we'd followed the instructions on the machine. Um, but I think Anita might be actually on the money when it, came, when it comes to putting her confidence, not in that machine, but, but in herself. Um, you've, you've heard the stories, haven't you, of people who put all their confidence in these machines and it goes horribly wrong, uh, like the people who end up turning the wrong way down a one-way street. I almost did that myself uh, the other week, going down Victoria Road and almost turned into a, a one-way street the wrong way. Or I had some friends who were in Newtown and wanting to drive to Hornsby or Gordon, somewhere up north, and they, uh, the machine said to go south, and so they went south. And they drove, and they drove, and they kept following the instructions that the machine gave them until they ended up in the Shire. I don't know what, what went wrong there for them, but they put their confidence in the wrong place, didn't they? They knew they should have been going north. Uh, they shouldn't have been trusting uh, what the machine said, but instead uh, used their common sense. Today's passage, the passage that we're reading uh, from the book of Philippians, uh, is all about confidence. And the, f the question it raises for us and the question that it forces us to ask is, when it comes to you and God, when it comes to being right with God, where, or, or really who, is your confidence in? Is your confidence in yourself and in the stuff that you do, or is it in Jesus? Now, as we heard the passage read to us before, and you've got it there in front of you now, uh, Philippians 3, it starts with a warning. It's a warning that Paul has given to the Philippians before. It's a warning uh, about people who would, uh, who would lead the Philippians away from Jesus. It's a warning about people who've got confidence in themselves. And it's a really, really serious warning. In verse 2, Paul says, watch out for these people. Uh, you don't see it uh, in the NIV, but actually Paul says it three times. He's really serious. He says, watch out, watch out, watch out. 
Paul is, is dead serious about these false teachers and he shows how serious he is about, about them by the names that he calls them. He calls them dogs. He calls them people who do evil. He calls them mutilators. And each of these, these insults, they undermine the self-confidence of these false teachers. Uh, by calling them dogs, he's using an insult that Jewish people would use of Gentiles. And he's saying, even though these guys are Jews by birth, because of what they're doing, it's like they're non-Jews or Gentiles when it comes to God. Uh, and he calls their works evil. They thought they were doing good, that by doing good things that they would be acceptable to God. But Paul says, no, what you're doing really is evil. And finally, he calls them mutilators. Uh, they thought that they were on about circumcision, uh, a Jewish religious practice that, that meant that the Jews were, were God's chosen people. But Paul says, no, you're not on about circumcision. You're not on about true circumcision. You're just chopping bits off people's bodies because what you're doing has got nothing to do with God's sign and God's promise. And Paul is really cutting here when it, when it comes to talking about uh, these people because he knows that they, these people have got self-confidence and not confidence in Jesus. And, and Paul doesn't want the Philippians to get sucked in to having the same kind of misplaced confidence. And, and Paul wants the Philippians to keep their confidence completely in Jesus. So please, have a look in your Bibles. Let's, let's read how Paul says that now in Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. So Philippians chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Now, Paul is dead serious about these self-confident people. Because what they, would, what they are teaching would cause the Philippians to stop having their confidence in Jesus and instead to have confidence in themselves. And so, how Paul counteracts this false teaching is that he reminds the Philippians about who they are because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, the Philippians and all Christians are the circumcision. What does this mean? It means... Uh, that the people of God, because of Jesus, the people of God are no longer those who've got a sign below the belt, but those who've got their confidence in Jesus. Uh, Christians are the circumcision. They're the people of God. And Christians are the true worshippers, those who worship by the Spirit of God. And Christians glory in Jesus. They don't glory in themselves. And Christians put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence that they can be right with God because of ourselves. Instead, Christians put their confidence in Jesus. Have a look at Philippians 3, verse, uh, yeah, chapter 3, verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, now, what Paul's saying here is a shocking thing for a Jewish person to say. It's an incredibly controversial thing for, for Paul to say this. It's controversial for him to say that it's not Jews that are the circumcision, but that it's the Christians. 
It's controversial for Paul to say that it's Christians who are the true worshippers of God and not Jesus. And so to support his claim, Paul tells us a bit of his life story. Basically, Paul, he ups the ante on these false teachers and their false confidence. It's like Paul's going for a job interview and he's just throwing down his resume and saying, look, if you want the best Jew for the job, if you want the best Jew in the world, hire me. Uh, Paul ticks all the boxes. He's got Jewishness down to a fine art. He was born into the right family. He was circumcised when he was just eight days old, just as the law said. Uh, He was so zealous for God's honour that when he thought that Christians were wrong, he went out of his way to persecute them. Paul had it all. But why does Paul say this? Why does Paul give his, his Jewish resume to the Philippians? Well, what Paul is doing is that he's saying, hey, you mutilators, you think that having your confidence in the flesh is a good thing? Do you think that your, your confidence in your circumcision and the things that you do and your zealousness and your righteousness is important? Is that how you think? Do you think that that's what's important and where you should put your confidence? Well, if that's what you think, then look at me. Because anything that you can do, I can do better. Any confidence that you think that you have, I have so much more. Uh, Let's look at Paul saying this in Philippians 3 uh, and verses 4 to 6. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul had it all when it came to self-confidence. But... Paul has come to realise that all that external stuff is nothing. All that stuff that he used to be proud of, all that stuff that he used to boast in, it's worthless. In fact, he considers it to be like rubbish, like like the the kitchen scraps that you just throw out. In fact, the word that Paul uses in verse 8, the the word that's translated as rubbish, it can can mean faeces. Paul considers... All that stuff that he used to have confidence in as utter rubbish because of Jesus. And it's not as if those things that he used to have confidence in are bad in and of themselves, but when compared to knowing Jesus, it's just a bucket of rubbish. It's a bit like, uh, for the tech heads here, earlier this year when Apple released their, their iPhone 4, you could just feel this sense of, of loss around the world, or at least around the privileged, rich, affluent world that cares about these kinds of things. This sense of disgust about their pathetic, useless, ugly iPhone 3s. I mean, compared, they used to consider their iPhone 3 to be pretty special, but now they considered it just junk when compared to the beauty and the excellence and the shallowness of their iPhone 4. (laughs) It's the same kind of thing. What Paul used to consider to be valuable, 
all those things that he used to put his confidence in, it's just rubbish when compared to gaining Christ and being found in him. Now let's read verses 7 to 9. But what, what, sorry, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Uh, In verse 9, Paul goes on uh, to explain the key difference between his previous way of life and his new life as a follower of Jesus. And the key difference is to do with uh, this word righteousness, uh, the source of righteousness, or or who, or or, sorry, where or really who his righteousness uh, comes from. Before Jesus, Paul's righteousness, his right standing before God, his acceptability before God, his, his tick of approval from God, his righteousness came from himself. Paul's righteousness was his own righteousness from the law. His confidence was in himself. And in verse 9, Paul just clearly rejects that kind of righteousness. Instead, Paul wants to gain Christ and to be found in him, having the righteousness that comes from God, the righteousness that is given to those who trust in Jesus, the righteousness that is based on, on Christ's obedience. Uh, Remember back a few weeks ago how Paul described Jesus' life in chapter 2, verse 8, that that psalm, sorry, not the psalm, the song, like the one we sing, Jesus was fully obedient to God, even to death on the cross. Paul now places his confidence in Jesus, in Jesus' obedient life and faithful death. Instead of being confident in his own righteousness, Paul knows that he will gain Christ because he is confident in the righteousness that comes from God by faith. Uh, Let's read again uh, those verses starting from verse 8. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Uh, Finally, in this passage, Paul explains further what it means for him to gain Christ and to be found in him. Uh, What's the purpose of Paul gaining Christ? The purpose is living a new life, a new Jesus-shaped life. Paul wants to live a life, a new life in the power of Jesus' resurrection, a new life that enables him through the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And Paul wants to know the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. That is, the privilege of of suffering for the sake of Jesus. Paul knew that just as Jesus had suffered, so people who follow Jesus will suffer as they live for Jesus in a world that hates him. 
And in a really upside-down way, that's considered a privilege by Paul. And finally, Paul wants to attain the resurrection from the dead. Uh, The little word somehow in verse 11 doesn't mean that Paul's not quite sure whether or not he's going to spend eternity with Jesus. Because if that's what somehow meant, that would be Paul contradicting what he just said in verses 8 and 9 of this chapter, and also what he said in chapter 1, verse 21, where he said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now, the little words which gets translated somehow means by whatever means, whether Paul is killed as a martyr or whether he just dies a natural death and then he's resurrected to be with Jesus, or if Jesus comes back before he dies and Paul is transformed to be with him, it doesn't matter because somehow, by whatever means, Paul is looking forward to eternal life with Jesus. Now, let's read verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Uh, Now we've covered a lot of ground today. It's a passage uh, that's got lots of details and we've skipped over a fair bit of that. But in a nutshell, this passage is about confidence. It's a warning not to listen to those who would have you place your confidence in yourself. Watch out, don't become self-confident. And it's an encouragement for us to keep putting our confidence in Jesus, being confident in his obedient life and receiving the righteousness that comes from God. So where are you placing your confidence Now, that might sound like a pretty silly question. Uh, You might hear that question and respond with the good Protestant Presbyterian answer, my confidence, my trust is in Jesus. Uh, But although we, we can say that, there's actually lots of subtle and also not so subtle ways that we can put our confidence in other things, in ourself. Uh, Maybe your confidence is in your heritage. You hear that that idea outside these walls a bit, don't you? Uh, When the topic of religion comes up and you're chatting with someone, someone says, oh, I'm okay, I'm Catholic or I'm Anglican or I'm Presbyterian or whatever, but it turns out that they, they haven't been to church for years and invariably they've given up in believing in God altogether. But they've got this sense of their heritage, maybe they went to Sunday school as a kid, and they think, well, Surely that's good enough for God. Or another version of the same kind of thinking is when you're talking about religion and Jesus and stuff and someone tells you about that aunt who is a nun or that uncle who was a minister. In fact, there's someone I talk to about, about religious stuff quite often and, and they often mention their uncle who was a minister almost to say, well, look, I've got religion in my family so I don't have to worry about God myself. People have got this unfounded confidence in their heritage which has got nothing to do with Jesus nothing at all to do with that righteousness which comes from God that might happen outside these walls but we can fall into the same kind of trap can't we we can start to think well because I'm Presbyterian 
then I'm okay with God. We're the Presbyterian church. We've got it all sorted. We've got the confession. We've got the catechism. We've got elders and a presbytery. We don't have that kind of bishop rubbish. How would you know if your confidence was in being uh, Presbyterian, in your Presbyterian heritage and not in Jesus? There's a few ways, but maybe if you're if you started feeling nervous about change happening at church and you think, oh, it's not a very Presbyterian way of doing things, even if that change wouldn't take people's trust away from Jesus, it wouldn't take their confidence away from Jesus. If you value being Presbyterian more than you value Jesus, then you've got your confidence in the wrong thing. Or maybe we can put our confidence in, in rituals, rituals like baptism or the Lord's Supper, and we can put our confidence in the thing itself and in our doing of them rather, in, in, rather than in what they point to, rather than putting our confidence in Jesus. I mean, the ritual, they're really important things. They're incredibly important for us. They're a way that God has given us to, to point to Jesus. They're reenactments, they're enactments of the gospel promises. But when we start trusting in the actions themselves rather than in Jesus, then we're in, in deep trouble. And, and people do trust in the thing themselves. You ask someone if they're a Christian and they say, well, I was baptised. And when they say that, they don't mean, yes, I was baptised and that was the beginning of my life of trusting in Jesus and following Jesus, but rather they mean, yeah, my parents had me baptised and surely God's got to be happy with that, a bit of water on my head when I was a kid. Well, maybe the way it happens for us is, is when we get precious about exactly how baptism or the Lord's Supper is done, about exactly the right words being used, or that you've got to use a particular cup or bowl or table. Now, there can be problems with all those sorts of practices uh, that go around these things. Words can be said that negate what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, or they can be done in a way that causes us and forces us to put our confidence in the thing themselves and away from Jesus. But if what is being done points us to Jesus encourages us to put our trust in him and not ourselves and not in the, the thing that we do, then that's what's important. Uh, we can easily slip into trusting in, in the rituals themselves, which means that our confidence is no longer in Jesus alone. Or we can put our confidence in our morality. And I reckon this is probably one of the big ones for us. We can put our confidence in our own morality, in our own righteousness. And there's two different ways that this can look. One way is that we can start to think, well, God must be pretty happy with me. I mean, I'm not a murderer or a thief or an adulterer. I'm a pretty good upright citizen. I help out here at church. Or the same kind of self-confidence can actually... I'll look the exact opposite. When we, we put our confidence in ourselves but think, I am so horribly guilty, I am so unclean, so wicked, that God would have nothing to do with me. Do you ever find yourself thinking in, in one or, or both of these ways? 
I reckon I, I actually flip between the two, flip back and forth. There's going to be period, there are periods in my life when, when I'm so aware of sin that I think that, oh, I can't pray. I can't approach God because surely he would reject me. And I think this because I'm putting confidence in myself and in my own ability to make myself acceptable to God. I'm not like Paul. I don't think that I'm faultless when it comes to legalistic righteousness or even that God expects me to be faultless, but surely he wants me just to be a little bit righteous. But then there are the other times when I'm pretty arrogant and I've got this false confidence and self-assurance and I think that actually I am faultless when it comes to legalistic righteousness, that God must be pretty happy with me, that he, he must be pretty lucky to have me on his side. And from whichever way you approach it, if you feel like this, then we're missing the point. They're two very different ways, but they're both ways of putting our confidence in ourselves, ways to try and make ourselves be righteous before God. But that kind of righteousness is utter rubbish. It's an offence to God. It's refusing Jesus' righteousness. It's saying, it's okay, God, I've got this righteousness sorted and all that stuff that Jesus did on the cross, well, you can keep that for those people who are bad enough or those people who are good enough, depending on which way you're thinking at the time. This way of thinking, it's, it's foolish, it's arrogant, it's proud, it's, self, it's self-centred. Instead, that righteousness that comes from God, that righteousness that Paul was talking about, it's, it's all about grace. It's a gift from God to those that he loves. It's a gift from God to sinners for whom Jesus died. And the final way I reckon we can uh, put confidence in ourselves and not in Jesus is when it comes to our theology or doctrine. We think that what's really important is having all the right beliefs about God. What's really important is having all the right answers at Bible study. What's really important is being able to explain those hard bits of the Bible. Maybe being able to explain how Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Or being able to explain exactly how Jesus' death and resurrection brings about our salvation. Uh, But God's not impressed by our our biblical and theological sword-wielding. As I once heard it put, and this is really, uh, really key, we are justified, we are declared righteous by faith in Jesus and not by our theology of justification by faith in Jesus. Do you get that? We're not saved because we have this right understanding of the concept called justification by faith or or righteousness which comes from God, we are saved by Jesus. Our confidence is in him. So where's your confidence? This is a really, really important question. Paul thought it was really important. He warned the Philippians about it. He'd warned them about it again. uh, Sorry, previously he he warned them about it again. He told them to watch out for people who would take their confidence away from Jesus and put it on themselves. This confidence is much more important than whether you put your confidence in that silly computer in your car or not. Is your confidence in yourself?
Is it in your heritage? Is it in rituals? Is it in your own morality, in your own doctrine? Or is your confidence in Jesus, in his faithful life, in his obedient death? Is your confidence in that righteousness that comes from God by faith? Let's pray that God will help us to keep our confidence in Jesus. Father God, uh, we know, as we've already prayed once today, uh, that we don't love you as we should and that we, uh, we sin against you and against others. But we thank you that you have provided a way for us to be righteous, not by our own works, not by things that we do or things that others do for us, but by your son, Jesus. We thank you for the righteousness, for his righteousness that comes from you and that we receive by faith. Please help us to not put our confidence in other things, but to keep our confidence solely in Jesus. Amen.